All right, who's ready to rock the health world? If you're here, you're ready. And if you're almost here, you're almost ready. And if you're not here, you're not ready until you get here. <laughs> I'm not talking to those people. They're not here. <laughs> this is the start of another great episode of the Robert Scott Bell Show. Super Don making it sound so good. We got an ama amazing uh, couple of guests here uh, that, that we're going to be talking about. You know, the airline pilot controversy. Have more pilots died since the COVID jabs? Or is that a pharmaceutical co cover up? Or is you know, what do the numbers say? Dr. Kevin Stillwag is going to be on the show uh, momentarily this hour. We're going to talk about that and more. What are really, what are viruses and why do we inject people against them? There's such absurdity layered on absurdity. I think Kevin will be willing to discuss that with me as well. And then an hour two, a returning guest. He hasn't been here since the year 2007. Jerome Corsi, Jerry Corsi. And he's, he's brilliant. He's PhD comes out of Harvard, but he's not snooty and snotty and all that stuff. We're going to talk about his new book, The Truth About Energy, Global Warming and Climate Change, Exposing Climate Lies in an Age of Disinformation. So get ready, Earth Muffins. You're not going to like what he has to say, but you're going to like what our gardens are doing. Super Don's got pictures. So do I. We'll show them sometime in the show today. So let's get this healing party started right about now. The Robert Scott, the Bell, Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. All right. How about uh, revisiting the Kaiser questionnaire, so to speak? They had a, uh, they call it, I don't know if a study or a, uh, just like, we sent out this question to all the, our customers at Kaiser. And some, maybe it's a couple of months now, it was a staggering, stunning kind of result that they revealed. And we did reveal it here on the Robert Scott Bell Show that said uh, just a shade or a hair over 80% of parents surveyed by this Kaiser survey said they were not interested in getting their kids jabbed by COVID jabs. Uh, if they're in the six month to five-year-old category, even if the FDA should authorize it as an emergency use authorization EUA. And I, I thought what a shocking uh, turn of events over the years that I've been doing this broadcast since 1999 to have 80% of parents refuse any vaccine at all, much less one that, technically isn't one but okay let's put that aside for a moment 80 percent like we could never have achieved that in a million years i know y'all are with me a lot of you but if you're new you might not understand that back in the day when i first opened up the microphone if there were one maybe two or three percent that had anything related remotely to vaccine hesitancy or vaccine obstinacy i i coined that phrase you're obstinately opposed to it. You just don't want it. Forget it. You guys can have yours, but you can actually have mine too. That's the thing about those that are so pro-vaccine. They're so fanatical about vaccines. I'm like, you should be happy. I'm not getting any for me or my kids. That means more for you and your kids. I I'm not thrilled that your kids are going to be victimized by that. But the point is they're not satisfied with them being able to access it and anybody that wants it being able to access it. It's not enough unless you are forced into compliance to their view of the world, which is more of a religious or cult-like devotion to the dogma of the church of pharmaceutical mysticism. And you know, those things called vaccines are sacrament in that cult. There's no other way to, I guess there are other ways to say it, but there's no other way that I can say it. Are they based in sound logic? 
I don't think so. I think Dr. Kevin Stillwagon may agree with me on that. We'll talk about that and some of the biological pathways for injecting things into your system and expecting you to be healthier and stronger and more vital in your immune system going, yay, I'm better now. Or does it defy physiological logic to inject foreign proteins and toxic metals and who knows what other contaminants that they have not purified out, even with all their technology, much less DNA from animals, RNA from animals, and maybe other aborted fetal cells from formerly human babies to be. These are, you know, these are legitimate things to ask and question and go, all right, does it make sense? But we're long past that. At least we had been long past this idea that you could even ask a question about maybe the fundamental philosophy behind vaccination as it's being manifest. I mean, maybe, maybe there are philosophical arguments that, that are good for the reason that people want to do it or doctors are doing it. But then again, we put it into practice and we say, wait a second, how has that worked out in real world scenario? Is it logical? Is it beneficial in reality? And, and also those are the kind of questions that we're never allowed to be asked. If you dared say, Hey, I wonder what, what are the, the, the outcomes of these things? Talk to me about long-term long range health outcomes of those who've been jabbed. And then we find out in the last couple of years, people like Dr. Paul Thomas, you know, Neil Miller, Brian Hooker, you know, have actually written about published case studies over the course of thousands and thousands of uh, patients in many years, results that are not, let's say clearly not <laughs> beneficial as far as health outcomes long-term. And so we ignored those long-term outcomes with an artificial success measurement, if you will, of did the disease we vaccinated you against manifest the way we say it manifests? Not even considering the possibility that disease, however you define it or call it, manifests differently in each of us, even if you say it's the same thing. And in some places and cases, it doesn't manifest at all, yet you've been exposed to whatever it is you claim is the thing that we've got to protect you against. And what of the argument that says the exposure is an important part of development and strengthening of the immune system and other systems functionally of the body, including the liver? Those are things that you think, well, yeah, that's good science. Let's ask those questions. Let's look, let's look into it. No, the moment you ask those questions, you were labeled like a CIA, CIA term conspiracy theorist uh, as an anti-vaxxer. And now the parents, you know, coming back to this Kaiser survey initially a couple of months back, 80% said, no, not interested. Does that mean those 80% are anti-vaxxers? Apparently, by the definition, if you even have a question about one vaccine on the schedule, yes, you have been lumped in and labeled as, but that doesn't seem to be stopping parents anymore. As we're hearing stories about pediatrician visits, well, baby visits where parents are outright refusing all shots and not timidly. And they're not bending and bowing to the authoritarianism of white lab coats anymore. Now, not 100%, but still, any percent upwards is pretty significant at a time where I grew up looking at this and growing up being vaccinated, never questioning it, even with adverse events, and now 80%. Now, let's do the follow-up. According to the first story Super Don brings to our attention, it's in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. By the way, if you want the newsletter, you'll see these things before the show. Just send my initials, RSB to 22828. Send RSB to 22828, and you'll be plugged in to the newsletter, including the poll questions of the day, which I don't know what it is yet. Superdon will have to inform me of that in a moment. 
But in this article, oh, yes, CNN Health, everybody's going to yell at Super Don. How dare you? Well, the thing is, Super Don, they shouldn't because I I referenced the Daily Cost article yesterday that makes CNN look like a right-wing fanatical. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked. I know. I was shocked. I but, was shocked. dude, the article from Daily Cost was spot on. Uh, oh, about a good one. Fraud, scientific fraud in the Alzheimer's, uh, uh, you know, uh, the science of Alzheimer's. Which, by so, the way, yeah. suddenly now today, mm-hmm. that's when all of the other major news outlets are starting to carry it now. By the way, Tucker Carlson covered it yesterday. Remember I asked there the question? There you go. I wonder yep, if Tucker Carlson right. would do it. He not only did that, he brought up the SSRI drug fiasco, the fraud there, and... He brought up this idea that all symptoms are not evidence. He didn't say drug deficiencies, but evidence. I, what, I'm just stunned. As good as Tucker Carlson has That's been in Tucker. covering stuff. That's Tucker. He seems to somehow he get away, away with, with that. Yeah, how? Fox News is supported by Big Pharma, too. How? I asked the question, how long will his show remain? Remember, my dear friend Carol Alt, who had a healthy you and Carol Alt on the weekends, and I was on that a, a number of times. Mm-hmm. The last interview that I was conducting with her, you killed the show. Her show <laughs> was about vaccinations, and shortly thereafter, she got canceled. Yeah, and uh, she's never. No, she doesn't blame me. She doesn't blame me. We're still friends, but Carol's amazing. But again, that, kudos to Fox News for whatever ability they had to get things out that no other network did. And and it's like we're not Fox News sycophants, but I have to say, what uh, Tucker Carlson did yesterday is like unprecedented at, at mainstream yeah. media levels but we scooped tucker carlson so yes we did yes there we, you go. we were on before he may have a bigger audience but you guys are better i'm just saying i'm a little biased but you guys are here and been advanced to that but it's still stunning to witness what's happening now in the cnn health article it changes from 80 percent to 40 percent. so that number may have been reduced by half uh and and yet it's still significant I mean, think about that. I said back in the history of my presentations on vaccinations and the outrage and the you know the controversy, one, two, three percent. Now forty percent, even if it's forty percent. And according to this article, more than forty percent of parents of young kids say they will not get their child a COVID jab, according to the survey. So yeah, I mean, it's a forty percent. It's a fifty percent difference in terms of eighty to forty, but. I am not complaining. I mean, that's huge because you knew there was going to be some peel off once it happened. There'd be pressure. Now, how many of them are actually going to do it? I mean, we've seen numbers as percentages as low as two and and, and, uh, Jeffrey Jackson reported it might be 4%. So that doesn't necessarily correspond with this article in the Kaiser survey because the numbers actually going in to get the jabs for their kids is, you know, that means 96% are hesitant or obstinately not getting that. So congratulations to all y'all out there that are communicating this message of health, freedom, and healing, liberty, and willing, being willing to go out on a limb, proverbially, with your f- friends, families, neighbors, churches even, to speak out about the danger of these COVID jabs. And these are the things that we would get deplatformed for and banned from, like we were banned on YouTube and Spotify. We were temporarily banned on tw- Twitter. We get, made it back on that. And uh, what was the other one? Facebook knocked us out for 30 days of broadcast. We're back. But who knows how long that will happen, except now state attorneys general a few states have now filed suit against the biden administration looking for collusion and there's discovery now happening there are demand letters to fauci nih cdc fda biden's office people all of these things they have to reveal the communications between uh, governmental institutions and these social media networks so it looks like we'll go beyond their ability to have plausible deniability that, well, it wasn't us. It's not the government. It's those are private organizations deciding what they want on their platform. That's not a free speech you know, restriction. It's private. Well, is it? 
How much influence did government play have over those uh, social media networks? We'll see if they're reluctant to, to uh, ban us again after today's show with what we're covering. I'm, I'm not holding my breath, but we'll see. There's a lot of pushback happening. And so as we uh, continue now in our discussion of the show, I just want to remind you, robertscottbell.com is the website. If you're new to the show, we are broadcasting live at robertscottbell.com slash listen. And also through a number of other media outlets live. And then later as a podcast, of course, and in some places, eventually the video, which after a couple of weeks, it might drop off of uh, our website, but we are a lean, mean, loving machine. We're in the case of Super Don growing machine. You should see what he's doing in his garden. But it's the two of us with others that are donating time to help us out to get this. But we're still behind so far. And I don't blame Super Don for a second. All of those videos that you want to watch because he's doing work beyond. I mean, I don't know how he it, when he sleeps, honestly, in, in what he does. So, Super D, I want to get to our guest this hour. Perhaps we can show our garden picks in the second hour and, and uh, how excited you are about it. As am I about growing food. Is that all right? Or do you want to do it now? Show picks. No, you're muted out. I can't hear you. Yeah, read lips from the side. We can. I know. Have you learned to read lips yet? Not from the side, directly. No. From, yeah, that's a challenge, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. Indeed. Um, yeah, we can do them either in second hour or maybe in bonus time. Whatever. We'll. we'll okay. Yeah. Don't know. You want to? I stay don't know. Tuned. It's we like got... you and I. I think are going to try and outdo each other with picks today. I, I know. It's awesome. You sent me like so many. I'm like, oh man. You're gonna have to run out at the top of the hour and figure it out. Yeah, and you compete. Anyway, look, this is your first year gardening, so I am not competing with you, my friend. I'm just loving it. And there's um, no competition. No, it is. I have a garden. You have an orchard. So I mean, there's <laughs> no way. It's just well, it's like, you know. I will just say this: my wife, after the show yesterday, said to me, "Did you notice how Super Don lit up when he was talking about his garden?" I'm thinking Marjorie Wildcraft would be would be. I blame too. you. Um, well, go ahead. I'll take the blame yeah. for that. I feel good about that. I do. Yeah. I, I uh, I'm I'm very protective of my of my garden now. Yeah. So. And even Dr. Kevin Stillwagon, we were talking with him before the show, and we're going to bring him in now. Uh, we're talking about gardening. He's in Florida where I was for 12 years, and there's uh, community gardens where you are, and, and the need, you know the need to do this. And uh, anyway, I just want to say welcome to the Robert Scott Bell Show, Dr. Kevin Stillwagon. It is my pleasure to be here, Robert. Thank you so much for having me on today. What do you want to talk about? Oh, there's so much. You know, I set the stage with a little, a few bullet points in the opening monologue. Yeah. Uh, that we can, of course, hit. I know that one of the main things you had written about, and, and you have a, a Rumble page, you have a Substack, and we have those linked up in the show notes today at robertscatbell.com. If you're not getting the newsletter, just send RSB to 22828. That's text it, RSB to 22828. And one of your uh, uh, articles recently, I think we could start there, is an objective analysis of commercial airline pilot deaths as reported in the Airline Pilots Association magazine since 2019. This is a part one that we have linked. And I think this is an important thing to, to hear from you on because, you know, we hear wild numbers being thrown out, more more pilots dying than ever before. And I'm like, it could be. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there have well, been, you know, a lot of strange things happening. But is it is it accurate? I don't And you go into that accuracy. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, what happened was uh, there was an issue that came out uh, last year in the summertime that that showed, uh, you know, one pilot death in 2019 and five in 2020 and hundreds in 2021. And most people made the assumption that, well, that in, in, that indicates that pilot deaths are rapidly increasing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not the way the magazine publishes these deaths. They, they come out in a monthly basis when the family of the deceased decides to make it publicly known. 
So some of these deaths show up, you know, two years later after the death actually occurred. So I thought, you know what, somebody really needs to sit down and take a look at this and see if there is a signal in there somewhere. So I did that. I started back in 2019. I took every single issue of the magazine. I put all of the uh, deaths that were listed into uh, an Excel spreadsheet. And I was looking to see if there was actually an escalation in the numbers of pilots that were dying uh, since the shot rolled out. I didn't see that signal at all. And so then I thought, well, maybe there's an indication that pilots are dying younger. But the problem was they don't tell you uh, what the age of the pilot was. Mm -hmm. So I had to painstakingly look at every single pilot death and try to find an actual obituary for it. Thousands of them. This took me weeks, Robert, to do this, but I felt it was important to do. Uh, how did you uh, definitely find a signal? Dr. Kevin, Sorry. I got I got to ask you real quick. I mean, this is this is so important what you've done here. I'll say it this way, because I admit we have what what's known or potentially could be known as a confirmation bias. If we have a perception and belief and largely in this audience that I know that exists with me, that the covid jab has created a scenario of increased sudden deaths across all ages now that are accepting it that it would right. be our let's say confirmation bias to say well if they if there's a report on hundreds more dying that are pilots we'd go oh that's obviously a direct link and it, and yet there are nuances to things like that that you picked out that if we had reported on it as fact we would have been saying sorry it's not accurate but right. there is some troublesome uh, let's say in the analysis conclusions to be drawn from it. And that I just wanted to let you now start from there to show what did you learn the distinctions in terms of the numbers or the demographics, something that reveals something that might be well, still problematic. Well, what I saw was that there was, there was definitely an increase in the incidence of younger pilots that were dying. Normally, when a pilot death shows up in the Airline Pilot Association magazine, it's a pilot that retired a long time ago, and then they're elderly, and they passed away. And so I started seeing younger pilots showing up on this list, and I thought, well, when does this start? And so I look back at 2019 versus 2020 versus 2021, and starting in 2021, there was an immediate escalation in the incidents of younger pilots dying. And it was a 40% increase, Robert, which correlates exactly with the actuarial evidence that was coming out from insurance companies that are reporting that they are seeing a 40% increase in deaths in people of working age, age 18 to 65. That's exactly what I saw in the pilot death data. What was really interesting, Robert, was reading the obituaries of these younger pilots. The death was listed as sudden or unexpected in many of these deaths. Mm. Why is that happening? So yeah. I started to look at the uh, pathophysiology of what this shot can actually do to a person. Mm -hmm. And I found out some very interesting things. Uh, number one is the uh, sudden death. This shot, Robert, is lipid nanoparticles which can actually start coagulating right in the vial or in the syringe before they shoot it into you. And the technician who mixes this stuff up uh, before they put it in your body, they're, they're instructed to look at that vial and that syringe three different times to make sure that it is not coagulating before they stick it in you. 
putting coagulating goo into your body, Robert, is not a good thing. It could result in a stroke or a heart attack really quickly. So you alluded to this earlier. What we had here was unfortunately a lot of people lined up in church parking lots with their arms hanging out the windows waiting for their sacrament of vaccination got injected by a poorly trained technician with coagulating goo mm -hmm. that almost immediately resulted in a stroke or a heart attack. Wow. Sudden uh, death. Oh, you know, so this is another, uh, again, rational attempt or an attempt that is rational. I would say that to look and analyze and say, Hey, what could be a contributing factor or what could explain something like this? And I right. don't know that it's all exhaustive, but it is significant in terms of the instructions before injection yeah. and what needs to be done and, and what you know is not happening in these drive-through parking lots and these mass hurry, get my shot kind of scenarios, even in many drugstores, are they going through this in the midst of a drug? And I've seen, you know, if you go into a drugstore, I mean, there are people getting their prescriptions, there's stuff happening all over. And it's like, do they have time to actually do what you're saying? And at the same time, yeah. just real briefly on the pilot death scenario, we're not talking about pilots dying in plane crashes. We're talking yeah. about sudden, unexplained, unexpected deaths, not related necessarily at all to uh, uh, you know an, 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 a crash that would result in death. And also, I, I don't know if this is all you know happening in the cockpit either. But these are active duty pilots, not pilots that retired 30 years ago that died suddenly. Right. Yeah. And so I can tell you that some of these issues are in fact happening in the cockpit right now, Robert, and that's that's pretty scary. See, the, the problem with, with a pilot is if they actually come forward and claim that they're having a cardiovascular issue or a cerebrovascular issue, that, that is going to immediately put their career at risk. And they don't, they don't want that to happen. So a lot of these problems are insidious or subjective. If the pilot is experiencing it, you can't tell by looking at the pilot that they're having this, these issues. It's something that the pilot themselves is feeling and they're probably going to keep quiet about it. One of the major issues is myocarditis. And if you look at the, uh, the CDC incidence of myocarditis that happens after the shot, clearly you can see a significant rise in this happening after the second shot, not necessarily the first shot. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why that's happening, Robert. It's called the activation of the complement cascade. Now, this gets a little bit technical, but your complement system is the heavy artillery of your immune system. It is 15 quintillion proteins of 30 different varieties that are circulating in all body fluids all of the time. And when the complement system gets activated, it's literally like taking one match and throwing it into a box of matches. It takes off fast and furious. And what it does is it attracts numerous white blood cells mm -hmm. to all cells in your body that are either making spike proteins or have spike proteins attached because your body wants to get rid of these things immediately. Why is that happening? When you get the first shot, Robert, your body is, is going to create antibodies against that protein. That's normal. That's what the body does. But over time, those antibodies are going to wane. They're going to decrease in numbers. That's normal. We expect that to happen. But Fauci wants everybody to go out and get a booster shot to get those antibody levels back up because he erroneously thinks that without antibodies, you have no protection. So when you go in, Robert, and you get that second shot, 
it's going to create more spike proteins, billions of them. And when your body sees this, your immune system sees this, it says, wait a second, I already dealt with this protein, this spike protein. I saw that before. I had antibodies against it. And I have the memory to quickly rebuild antibodies and keep this thing from showing up. But there are billions of them. Where are these things coming from? Something is seriously wrong. So I am going to activate the complement cascade. That's where those white blood cells are attracted to all cells of the body now that are either making spike proteins or have spike proteins attached. Mm -hmm. This is hyperinflammatory and it causes significant mm -hmm. tissue damage, Robert. And when it happens in the heart, that's called myocarditis. That's the, that's damage that is permanent yeah. and it can be deadly. deadly. Yeah, you're deadly. reading my mind here. And this, these are the kind of things I've heard referenced earlier. Uh, you're, the first time I've heard it in, in the way you described it, activation of the complement cascade. Of course, we've heard about it in terms of antibody-dependent enhancement or pathogenic priming. It sounds similar. I don't know if it's identical, but the, the end result is similar. That is, these inflammatory cytokine storms like you, you're on the coast of Florida. There are Category 6 hurricanes that don't exist in nature happening yeah. within the body, and that right. can create death. And so, you know, strategically, I've, I've talked about ways to address that systemic and site-specific inflammation uh, with the use of various minerals and, and other herbal compounds as well. Uh, but at the same time, wouldn't it be better if we don't enter into those cascades or facilitate right. their emergence artificially via the mRNA uh, spike protein synthesis, if you will, uh, pr production uh, in response to those shots? And even the uh, non-mRNA version, the, uh, what do they call it, the... Uh, moth dna virus yeah. vector introduction the, the, is the, no, the novavax shot yes, is creating yeah. a, let, a let, let's not that. let's not make the spike pro let's not have your body make the spike protein let's have moths make it yeah. and then we'll just inject those spike proteins right into your body you know the things that can kill you mm -hmm. we'll just go ahead and inject those things right into your body so this is sense? No, this doesn't. That's why I was talking about logic. I was just asking, look, look for logic. And sometimes we have to go beyond logic, not in a negative sense where we abandon our critical thinking skills. That's not the point. But in many cases, uh, you can use a logical argument that says, hey, like this, let's say we expose somebody to a weakened version of what we call a disease or, you know, something like that. And so they don't really get that sick, but they develop some kind of resistance or an antibody, if you will, or an immunity right. to it. And so we say on that statement alone, we go, yeah, okay, that's a logical presumption. Now, the question is, how do you integrate that into reality? And they go, let's inject and fill in the blanks. And that's where I think the logic breaks down because it is not the way you would interact with these things. Normally we have a million layers of an immune system, including mucous membranes, a saliva, bodily fluids, all of that. And they're bypassing everything via injection, not yeah. the least of which the concern is what is in the injection. And they're not fully controlling for everything in it either. And they're not even revealing what's all, what all is in it with this mRNA jab. So as no, I say, the not. logic breaks down after the initial supposition that we can go, oh, okay, that sounds good. Let's talk about it. And of course, yeah. I would apply it only in a homeopathic way uh, where we're dealing with oral in, uh, in ingestion and in a way that it clearly cannot harm you. But again, that's another discussion for another day. But I, I appreciate your willingness to speak out directly on it. And then, then the next question is, how come, Dr. Kevin, still wagging? You're speaking out directly like this. Isn't, isn't this a risk to you and your livelihood and your ability to do what you do? Not anymore because I'm retired. So I'm not at risk. 
Well, listen, I, I keep up on this stuff, Robert. I, I wrote a book uh, almost 40 years ago called The Silent Killers that I'm republishing on Substack for free. You can read it chapter by chapter. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the loss of medical freedom, which was happening almost 40 years ago, and the dangers of vaccines. And I've kept up on this. And I'm, I'm a public speaker. I talk on stages with Dr. Robert Malone, with uh, Pierre Corey, with uh, Ryan Cole, with Dr. Peter McCullough. And so I've got I've to keep up on these things and, and I've got to be an expert. So let's talk about the philosophy of why a person would do a mm. shot called a vaccine. Okay, All pause these- there. Pause there yeah. for a moment. I, we need a breather, Kevin. Honestly, okay. this is great stuff. And where you're going is 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 deep, which I like. Yeah, this right, is every- gonna get good. All right. So we're gonna go into this philosophy, which I love to discuss as well. Folks, um, if you are digging it as I am with uh Dr. Stillwagon here, we're having a good time. Please share the show. Robertscottbell.com slash listen or the various ways you're watching or listening. There's chat rooms available, live chat room at the listen page at robertscottbell.com and sign up for the newsletter. Um also education events coming up and also you know support of this show is of things that don't poison you or kill you that do the opposite can eliminate poisons from you and enliven you uh not only philosophically but very pragmatically and practically now for those of you growing gardens in the northern hemisphere here in the summer and you got bugs that are busting your you know what's and they're trying to eat your whatever i want you to not resort to toxic cancer causing chemicals synthetic chemistry and look to nature what does nature do well one of the things is brilliant from the citrus peel is called delimiting a distillate from the uh, orange peel particularly and our friends at orange guard have that and i was utilizing that back in florida when we had bugs everywhere and it was great now using it wherever you are i don't have as many bug problems but super don certainly uh, found it helpful around his place with the midges and things flying around as well it's not harmful to your pets it's not harmful to your kids it's not harmful to you so safe I ingested it on the air. I squirted it in my mouth, surprised everybody. And I'm still alive here weeks later, still doing great. If you look up delimiting as an ingredient, it's been tested at the University of Arizona and other research universities. They found it actually has oncolytic properties. That is anti-cancer properties. A pesticide that is not causing cancer might be reversing. So there you go. OrangeGuard.com. Check it out. And you can go to your local Ace Hardware uh, support. You know, yes, those are independently owned, even though they're part of a larger conglomerate, but ACE usually is very responsive locally, or you can go direct to orangeguard.com to get some for you. I'm in my greenhouse using it and it's a wonderful tool. So you don't have to poison yourself or others. And people are still around your neighborhood, probably next door to you using glyphosate containing toxic, uh, for, you know, what we call it, uh, fungicides, herbicides, etc., as well as pesticides. So we can do better. And when we know better, we must do better. So please, I encourage you to speak to your neighbors. You don't know, don't beat them over the head. Just be nice about it. Say, Hey, look what I found. This is awesome. And they might tap into that too. It's going to clean up your local environment as well. Also upcoming events. We've got the next one, August 6th, Saturday, uh, our friends at nutritional frontiers that are investing a lot in education. Our good friends, Dr. Tracy Strout, Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Len Brankowitz is going to, it's interesting what Dr. Len's talking about, integrating the allopathic world to the holistic world and seeing how they meet and can, can function together. And I know some people are not into that at all, but I think it's an important part of bringing people over to do better. And of course, shout out to Jamie Dorley from Nutritional Frontiers. And you can find their certified organic U.S. grown hemp CBD products that we use here, uh, not only in my house, in my studio, wherever I can, that's the certified organic U.S. grown hemp CBD and you can go to cbdnf.com, 
Sign up there to become a customer of Nutritional Frontiers, and they will send you, if you're in the United States, you mentioned the Robert Scott Bell Show, they'll send you a, a welcome kit, samples galore, and you can take a picture of those samples with you preferably and send that picture into Superdon. AskRSB at gmail.com. When he gets it, he'll include it in this nice collage of people, wonderful people, and we are going to do, I've committed to this now, I've just decided in the beginning, first week of August, we're going to do another giveaway, but you have to be fast to get those pictures in before we do our next big giveaway. It's not just little samples. You're going to get a full live product, one of you. And the, the the odds, never tell me the odds, but they're way better than a lottery. It's not even a close competition. So uh, check that out. Do that. We'd love to have you on board. And, and many other events, including the Health Freedom Expo, coming up in the middle of October 15th and 16th outside of Chicago in Tinley Park. But uh, we'll get back to that. Now, we paused. I wanted to get your minds in, in straight because when we get into the fundamentals like philosophy of things, like philosophy of vaccination, as I pointed out, there's a logical starting point to the thing that led to the theory of vaccination. And there are ways to apply that concept safely without harm. I agree. Homeoprophylaxis particularly. I don't even think it's necessary, but it's we've been so programmed to believe it is that I love to have people have an option. So now with Dr. Kevin Stillwagon, let's get back to that fundamental philosophy. How did it go wrong? Where did it go awry? And why haven't they looked at things like outcomes in reality other than that short burst of, oh, we've, we've measured, we've titered antibody, we've succeeded. In the meantime, they're dying of some horrible disease that's not even related, but maybe related to the shot itself. So, Kevin, thanks, my brother, for, uh, for pausing with me there. Now we're ready. Yeah, sure. When, when did it go wrong? Do you realize how long we've been doing this idea called vaccination, Robert? This is unbelievable. It started in the year 1500. Hmm. Did you know that? 1500, where they were taking scabs from people that had smallpox, drying the pus, putting it in a straw, and blowing it into the nostrils mm -hmm. of a person that they were trying to protect. Now, that actually made sense, Robert, because you're allowing the virus to enter the body the, the way it normally would enter, and that is through a mucosal membrane. Right. Air, airborne so that, transmission. That happens, is, yeah. that, that gives you a lot of protection because it's, an, it's a natural infection. But where we screwed up, Robert, mm -hmm. was 226 years ago when we started injecting this stuff directly through those protective membranes. Remember Jenner and the Temple of Vaccinia? Exactly. Yeah. That's where we made our fatal error and we're still doing it. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the philosophy of a artificial immunization procedure called a vaccine. All shots called vaccines, all of them, whether they're a vaccine or not. If it's called a vaccine, it has one goal, and that goal is to create an antibody, a serum antibody, which is always on the inside of you, always. It cannot protect you from getting infected. It cannot protect a virus or stop a virus from getting from the outside of you to the inside of you. It is only there to react to an infection. That's all it can do. And so all of these shots called vaccines are like that. They cannot prevent infections, nor can they stop the spread of infections. And Deborah Burks admits that, right? In her book, why didn't, why didn't she make that clear to everybody in the very beginning that this shot, this COVID shot is not going to protect people from infection, nor can it stop the spread of this illness. Mm -hmm. Again, because the, 
the antibody, the thing that these things create are serum antibodies. They're always on the inside of you. They cannot mm -hmm. stop a virus from getting in. They can only react to it once it does get in. Right. So the philosophy behind why they wanted to do this is they thought, well, we'll have an antibody there to react to the infection. So maybe the next time the person does get infected, they'll have symptoms that will maybe uh, last a shorter amount of time or be. Well, less it, it's the, it's a theory. It doesn't necessarily hold up under scrutiny. And also we know enough in immunology in the 20th and now 21st century to acknowledge and recognize as I've had immunologists, PhD level doctors on this show, acknowledging what I've said for years that having an antibody in and of itself is not sufficient right. nor necessary to prevent any given disease and not having an antibody. It doesn't mean you're going to get necessarily sick or manifest disease in a deadly, dangerous way. So it's yeah. an oversimplification of one aspect or wing or, or, you know, branch of the immune response that is not the totality of everything. It's not the Holy Grail like it is in vaccinology. Oh, the antibody, worship the antibodies. Like, right. dude, you don't even need it to be healthy. And I'm no. not saying I, I'm picketing against antibodies. I've, uh, I've joked about that. I'm not, I'm anti-antibody. No, that's not the point. But the artificial injection and induction of this is not health-affirming, health-sustaining, life-sustaining. It is inducing chronicities that, if existed, existed rarely and that in old people. And now we're seeing these old-age diseases occur in younger and younger ages without almost exception. I was one of those canaries in the coal mine of my generation that had to overcome so much, not only from vaccine injury earlier, and we had few vaccines relative to in the 90s after the 1986 act that came through. That, that indemnified, you know, future vaccinations from all liability. And that that just opened wide a disaster for children in the autism generation, so to speak, since then. But we are dealing with a, a flawed, not necessarily a philosophy initially. The idea, not a bad idea, okay? But the implementation of it, completely, right. it's on crack. I'm just saying, it's bad. Well, yeah, the, pro the problem with these, with these shots is <laughs> they have to weaken the supposed virus, right? Otherwise, if they injected it with you, it would actually create the disease. So they have to weaken the virus. And by weakening it, then they have to put in what's called an adjuvant, which is something that kickstarts your immune system to say, hey, I'm putting something in your bloodstream, but it's pretty weak, but you better take a look at this. So I'm gonna put some aluminum in there and I'm gonna mm -hmm. put some uh, mercury in there and I'm going to put We're going to aggravate your immune system to make sure it kicks into gear and then we can measure an antibody. Again, the, ne near, never mind the devastation by hyper uh, uh, stimulating immune response. Yeah. Yeah, immunity, et cetera. Yeah. All, all of these things are toxic, Robert, mm -hmm. and a lot of them can cross the blood brain barrier. Mm -hmm. And that's why we had a tie in with autism in children in the, in the MMR shot because of thimerosal. That's clear. And the reason why every kid that got the shot didn't get autism is because some children have the ability to eliminate these toxins mm. from their body quite quickly, and others do not. Metabolic pathways of excretion that were more exactly. resilient and functional than others. And you know that is exactly a big difference. What I'm talking yeah. about. Oh, totally. Yes. No, no, I, I'm just glad I'm yes. just smiling here on the inside <laughs> and the outside talking about with you because it's only further validating what I think is truly common sense rooted in really sound scientific, uh, uh, let's say observations yet, right. uh, it flies in the face of certain economic imperatives. And I would argue globalist population reductionist agendas 
uh, to destroy uh, the lives before they even have a chance to begin. Like the well baby visit, forget that. How about hepatitis B shots at birth for every baby born in America in a hospital? Why? Yeah, that, makes, that makes no sense at all. You know, and babies can't even start making antibodies until six to nine months down the at road. At the earliest, exactly. You you bring up all of these salient points that I love hearing from you on this. And then, yeah, why would they do that? So, you know, let's get back to the antibodies. There's way, way too much emphasis put on antibodies. You know, mm -hmm. just the just the fact that you have antibodies is an admission that your innate immune system, which is what protects you from getting infected in the first place, it's an admission that it failed and you got infected. I that's where that. the that's where the antibodies come from. So hey, the Kevin, how come you weren't thrown out of the medical profession decades ago? I'm loving this. This is all you're so on. I'm like, dude, yes, that's what we've been saying. But they don't let you say that. No, they, they don't. And, you know, it, it happened back in 1984. There was actually something written into uh, the Federal Register in June of 1984 that said anything that would cause a person to doubt the safety and efficacy of a vaccine whether it's well-founded or not, shall not be allowed to be published. Isn't that was that in lovely. 1984. And that's, so they, that still exists. And that's how, they're, that's, how, that's how they're able to get away with all this censorship. Well, the, <laughs> and the thing is, Kevin, they call us anti-science for asking questions, right. yet the basis of good sound science is asking questions. And they yeah. went anti-science in, guess what? That seminal year, 1984. Thank you, George Orwell. Yeah. Uh, so uh, exactly <laughs> let's talk about the, the controversy of the virus and I don't think we're going to solve yeah. it in the 15 minutes or so we have left this hour, but you know, if, if we agree that what has been claimed viruses are, are these protein envelopes that steal genetic material from your body and spew out and, 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 and replicate virus replicant copies and cause death or mayhem or disease yet <laughs> here we have this uh, gain of function arguable gain of function studies in biowarfare uh, investigations coming out of University of North Carolina leading to Wuhan etc they're trying to take these protein envelopes and and cause them to do something different and in this case to program the production of uh, I would call them aberrant proteins in the case of these spike right. proteins that apparently were uh, I guess they were patented in like 2002 or something right before the first SARS outbreak uh, so yeah. 10 nanometers small and they can go anywhere in the body. So the idea here is these viruses are merely vectors for disease. And I'm thinking we're going to look back on this one day, Kevin, and go, we were so wrong. What we thought viruses yeah. were as causative agents of disease, as opposed yeah. to maybe, maybe arguably detoxification pathways, maybe communication tools within a body or to other bodies in the vicinity, as opposed to what they do via gain of function and say, we're going to take this, we're going to make sure it can program and leave packages in your body to tell your DNA to manifest proteins that it normally wouldn't. And I'm thinking okay. this is man's doing, not God's doing in terms of viral vectors of proclamations of disease causation. All right. You, you just, you just said something very profound and you didn't even realize you said it. Okay. Okay. Your body, your body is not made of DNA. It's made of proteins. And the message to make these proteins is in your DNA. DNA is a double helix. We both know that. We studied it. The double helix breaks into single uh, strands in the nucleus. And then messenger RNA is, is, is peeled off mm -hmm. and put out into the cytoplasm. And the messenger RNA is where the message is to make the proteins that your body needs 
to be what it is. Proteins are what and who you are. Now, I want you to think about this. Man has a propensity for constantly poisoning the environment with stuff that we never dealt with before. We put fluoride in our water. We put, we put all kinds of crap into the atmosphere, including 5G radiation now. Mm -hmm. These are things that humans have never experienced before. So God or universal intelligence loves us, right? He wants us to thrive on this planet. So there's got to be a way to make a new protein in your body so that you can counteract these toxins, these poisons, these things that man himself are pu putting out into the environment. You have to be able to make a new protein and get that into human bodies. How do you do that? It comes from viruses. Viruses are not living things. They have no intelligence, nor the desire to attack you, mm -hmm. but they are communication vessels. You used that term yourself yes. just a few minutes ago. You've heard the term and every philosophy and religion has said this. We are all connected mm -hmm. and we are connected physically by these little tiny non-living things that, that carry genetic information in them that we need. And it's critical. And we know that, Robert, because half of the human genome was actually inserted by viruses. Mm -hmm. And it's still happening even today. You just got to think about the numbers of viruses that we exist with. There's 10 to the 31 in the breathable air around this planet. That's it, more than there are known stars in the universe. So, so yeah, it dwarfs the uh, what we call the microbiome, which dwarfs yeah. what? The uh well, what we call animal or human cells, right? Right. Uh, so the virome is very interesting to discuss, yet it's been so altered in a disgusting way. Once again, creation is denigrated by the arrogance of man. Right. And those who are not arrogant are ignorant, and they believe the white-coated, you know, M deities when they make these proclamations. And my point is, if we argue that viruses are the cause of it, our, our good buddy Dr. Batari used to say this in terms of causation. If you see a fire truck, every time you see a fire, you can say, hey, fire trucks are the cause of the fire because they're always there. Right. But right. obviously it's not correct. Now, what about the poisoning of the body or the deficiency of key minerals in the body that manifest what they call viral activation, communication, or maybe detox pathways? Again, there are things that I don't fully understand. I have you know, speculated on and others have as well. And then we come to the conclusion, no, 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 those are the cause of agents. Yet explain to me how, as I bring this up with Superdon all the time, you know, he talks about why aren't they bringing back Ebola or Marburg, something that bleeds from the eyes to scare people because the monkeypox isn't working so well. And I said, well, even that doesn't scare me because back in the 90s when I was researching Ebola, found out in the peer-reviewed medical literature when they replenished the selenium in the soils and in the people, Ebola went away. You didn't have to use a drug, a vaccine, even silver, which can stop viruses from replicating, wasn't needed. In other words, selenium alone, a mineral. So right. we look at the terrain again and say viruses are the result of, just as we talked about the terrain versus the germ, Bechamp, Claude Bernard, as opposed to Pasteur and his alteration of those ideas, stealing them and in, in, in misappropriating them and in, in applying them wrong. And then everybody now is afraid of germs. And yeah. our vulnerability came to manifest in COVID where we've shut down the freest people on the planet, even in America, and stopped them from going to their houses of worship. Let's talk about that for just a second. And I'm going to say something profound right now. You're going to get this. Most people won't. 
viruses are always contagious. Always. They spread from person to person. That's what they do. They're supposed to. Whether you're wearing a mask or not, it's estimated that we all breathe about 100 million various viruses every single day, whether you wear a mask or not. So viruses are contagious, but the symptoms of contacting a virus are not contagious. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you will develop symptoms depends upon the strength of your immune system and how your body is coming in harmony with that virus Mm -hmm. or not. Hello. That's, that's where it's happening. Now listen, you should be the most censored doctor in America. I love you. This, this should be evident to everybody. How many positive PCR tests Mm -hmm. happened in America and these people never got sick, never had a symptom. Yeah, exactly. Hundreds of millions of them, hundreds of millions of these tests were positive and Look, never ended up. They, in a they needed to convince, they needed to convince everybody that they are vectors for disease. And mo- most of all, we need to convince our children just growing up <laughs> that they can breathe and grandma will die because in that way they can control them, isolate them, tell them anything, lock them down. They'll go, Oh, well, yeah, I don't want to kill grandma. So this is a, a this is a wholesale corruption of our very spiritual essence. Uh, and it, it's just an ugly attack on our divinity. And, you know, the medical community has been the vector of delivery of misinformation and disinformation for centuries in this regarding the germ theory of disease. Now we go into another area of controversy. Again, we're covering a lot of ground in this short period of time, but we're going to get you back because this is great. stuff. (laughs) The next level goes into viral isolation. I talk about the isolation of a bacteria or a fungal species. It's not controversial. Nobody goes, it's not there that it's you can see it right but the viruses at the levels at which they are so small and apparently very difficult to impossible to say here let's just take some blood out of you and look there are the viruses are right there they're like yeah. no we got to take that blood we got to mix it with bovine serum we've got to add a lot of toxic components we got to ref uh, centrifuge it down then we got to you know let's say put it on some media let's see what and then we'll we'll get it out there and then we'll expand it blow it up under electron microscope and say see that's it i'm like Dude, this is so not isolation relative to what we have assumed or assessed and agreed the definition of isolation was. So here we are talking about viruses at at the orders of magnitude beyond the microbiome. And yet the ability to isolate them in a given person that has manifested massive COVID or whatever viral disease they want to say, you can't just pull it out of the blood and see it. So there's still problems with the argument. And, And I think we've got to develop a language that meets what we're talking about here better than the bacteriological or fungal discussion. Does that make sense that we're lacking some of these terms perhaps or definitions? Yeah. yeah. See the, the problem with viruses, Robert is, is some people, even some doctors now don't even believe that they exist. And they say that because you can't see them except under an electron microscope. And only and, after doing all the stuff we just talked about. Exactly. And they're saying that, well, those, those are just fragments of dead tissue. Those aren't real viruses, but the fact remains is, we do have images of these particles that are not alive. Again, they have no intelligence nor the desire to attack you. They're just carrying genetic information is all they're carrying. We have images of them outside of our cells, inside of our cells and attached to our cells. Well, and some of people refer to them as exosomes, right? Right. Yeah. You can hear them called exosomes, but, and we have, explanations of mechanisms of how they can get into cells and replicated, made copies of, and be excreted or ejected from cells. We all have mechanisms 
that explain how that happens. But nobody has ever seen one do that and yes. nobody ever will. But, yeah. but we have the mechanisms to explain hmm. why this happens. But they're never um, caught in the act of doing all that they ascribe to them. No. So it remains in the realm of theoretically, this is what we think is happening as opposed right. to here we have the video of it. Like you can videotape. Uh, you know, well, you, I see how old I am. I say videotape. You know what I'm saying? You can yeah. actually see images like moving images of bacteriological interface with things, fungal growth and things, but not this. And that no, that's why it's very problematic going forward. And I am not kicking to the curb anybody and whatever we call an extreme view of this. I want to have this discussion more. I want to go right. deeper. I'll say here, let's, how do we validate something that we can't validate with the ways we validate other things right. that's yet. We're still not there. I don't think. So we're trying, we're trying to validate their existence with, with genetic information, nucleic, mm -hmm. Uh, sequencing, yeah, exactly. Nucleotide yeah. sequencing, and you know that that gets to be really tricky. Mm -hmm. um, where they use similar to PCR technology, where they take what's called a probe. It's just a, a string of nucleotides, and they they put them in what they they don't know what's in there, mm -hmm. but they know what they put in there, <laughs> and if it binds, yeah. then they know what it bound to. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, so they have a starting point and then they, they keep extending that little by little, they keep extending it longer and longer and longer. And then they end up with a bunch of puzzle pieces and they put them all together. Okay. So that's how the, uh, nucleotide sequence of these viruses mm -hmm. comes about. Uh, it's called Sanger sequencing. Uh, there, there are problems with it. It's, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, 100% accurate. No, I, I think the, te the technology is limited. Also, our paradigm, our, the way we view this, even as right. we talk about it, and I believe that what you're doing is way advanced, and I love this discussion, but I think we have to now get into the electromagnetic reality, right? The non-material concept, because this is like, a, you know, the antenna to, to uh, energetic receptors, if you will, beyond just receptor sites. We're talking right. about something that is non-material and non-physical, and it's an interface as to explain how it is possible that we can say all these things about these viruses, yet we can't see them and catch them in the act of doing all the stuff we say they do. Right. And that's where we're going to have to leave it today because we're right on the edge of the, this hour. And it went as fast as the lightning that we might be talking about next time in terms of the yep. energetic interface here. Uh, but dude, I, I dig it, man. Kevin, yeah. It's been a great connection here. There's so much to talk about, uh, Robert. We can't. I mean, we just scratched the surface, man. Yeah, heads are exploding again. all over the NIH right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dude, all right. So once again, I want to say where you can find uh, Kevin Stillwagon. Again, he's got a Rumble page. We've got a Substack link as well. And uh, you can, if you enjoyed this, he's got, I see that you had a nice conversation with Dr. Paul Thomas, our friend, who, who's wonderful. Oh, yeah. And that was uh, a great, great interview. You got to watch that one if you have the time. It's an hour long, but we really covered a lot of stuff. Well, I love yeah. it. I can tell you can go to places that I love to go. And, yeah. and many of my friends do as well. And I'm, I'm just, like I said, grateful to connect here on the show. And I hope you'll uh, come back and won't you know run away kicking and screaming and going, oh, I'll never do that show again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love this. I could talk about it all day. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be in Orlando for an event of uh, the fifth, sixth, and seventh, or sixth, seventh, and eighth Superdon. It's in the upcoming events. Yeah, uh, I'll tab be there. Robert Scott Bell. If you'll be there, I would love to connect with you again some more. 
And uh, like I said, thoroughly enjoyed. I hope you all enjoyed it out there. We've got a whole other hour of broadcast healing. Dr. Kevin Stillwagon, thanks for being on board and scratching the proverbial surface, yet not harming anyone. Well, maybe Fauci, but that that's okay. We won't worry about that. <laughs> thanks, that's Dr. Great, Kevin man. Stillwagon. Appreciate you very much. All right. We got uh, amazing discussions today. You know, talk about scientific uh, eggheady kind of discussions. Our next guest is a PhD researcher, author of many books. He was on this program back in 2008. We'll get to that. Jerome Corsi talking about the hoax of climate change and global warming and anthropomorphic causes of that. Uh, you're going to enjoy this discussion unless you're Alexandria or what of that AOC lady is. She's not going to like it. Uh, the World Economic Forum, people are not going to like it, but you're going to like it. It's going to be worthwhile to take the time and hang out with us some more. So tell your friends, a place for health, freedom, and healing, liberty, and great discussions. It's right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, where the power to heal is yours. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. This hour on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Jerome Corsi returns. We're going to find out how long it's been since he's been on this show. He might not even remember it. We'll find out. But Earth Muffins of the World, beware. Be very wary because uh, if your view is that there is anthropomorphic global warming and climate change, that is man caused, uh, you're going to be in for maybe a rough ride, but a ride that's important so that you don't fall prey to the propaganda that would enslave you to a communist agenda where you will own nothing and like it. Now, anybody that's lived through real communism or real socialism will tell you your ideas are pharmaceutical fantasies about why you would want that. Why would you would want a Klaus Schwab telling you, you you can't own anything and that you have to stay in your home or a Fauci or anybody else that's a megalomaniac within a centralized bureaucracy? Our founding fathers warned us in the United States of America that we should never, never, never trust people to be good or good people to go in and remain good because government with power or absolute power would corrupt. Absolutely. And so they limited government. But now we've got a government unhinged that are basically promoting agendas. Like last hour, we talked about the covid agenda, teaching children that breathing will kill their grandma. How it, how does everybody not see this as a Luciferian agenda? This is not of God. This is of, of, of a deranged lunatic men that want to control you, that want to own you. And that's not what we do here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. By the way, we've got a lot of upcoming events that we'd love you to participate in. And if you go to the upcoming events tab at robertscottbell.com, uh, there's some good ones coming up. Uh, talking about empowering you to get well and stay well with our friends at Nutritional Frontiers, August 6th in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'll be there with some of my good friends, including Dr. Tracy Straub, Dr. Judy Mikovits, uh, Dr. Len Brankowitz, and of course, Jamie Dorley. That's coming up the 6th of August, a Saturday event in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We've got other events coming up. I'll talk to you about a little bit later. Uh, also, I want to say after the show today, we get a little bit of a break. We get a bonus round, and then we've got our AMA, our monthly AMA. That's an Ask Me Anything. You can ask Super Don anything as well. And that's for our patron supporters. And you have time. Sign up for as little as five bucks a month. You could say thanks. For all the work that Super Don does, primarily, I just show up and talk. I, I don't really do much, but 
for Superdon. Yes, be part of this AMA by Zoom, and we get to interact and see one another, and it's a lot of fun. And that'll happen today at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific. Uh, so there's a lot more I want to tell you about, including the extension of the Pure Body Extra, uh, the Clean Zeolite colloidal suspension. It's been expand extended the five dollar deal until the 31st of July. So thank you, because some of you missed it. I don't know. You're acting slow. Come on, quicken it up. Get the five buck deal. We'll talk about it a little bit later as well. Right now, I want to talk about this new book. I'm only on page 247, but I only got it this morning, so I had to really read fast. But it's fantastic. I was like, you know, as much as you heard me, how interested I was in the subject I was talking with, with Dr. Kevin Stillwagon last hour, equally just engaged in some of the stuff we've been talking about here. In fact, it brought to mind some of the things that we learned about from my good friend, dearly departed friend, Liam Sheff, and his book, Official Stories, about many of the lies that we've been told over the centuries that are now official stories that are there to protect the officials that are not rooted in sound science, including Darwinism which doesn't really explain the reality of how we got here. Darwinism is actually dead. Now, what about climate change? What about global warming? What about, well, the idea that the energy coming from the earth is finite in a seemingly infinite universe where the sun keeps going? Well, until one day, I don't know when, but until then, what does it mean to say that man, because he's breathing or cows are passing gas, we're all going to die because the temperature of the earth is going up because of extra carbon dioxide. Talk to my plants outside. Talk to my garden. They love carbon dioxide. You want to grow more food? You need more carbon dioxide. You want to feed the people? Oh, wait, but there are people that don't want to feed people. There are people that want to eliminate people. There are globalist population reductionists, eugenicists. They want to see the end of billions of you. And I say for those eugenicists, for those population reductionists, you know what? You have the option to take yourself out of the life chain. And I'm not endorsing suicide. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're so hell bent on killing people, take yourself out before you harm others. And then you can say, I did a great service to humanity. I saved the earth by taking myself out. I know that's a strange thing to say, but take it with the spirit with which I'm saying it. These people are all about volunteering you to die. But when it comes to, no, 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 they're going to have their special place and you're going to be making their shoes if you survive. Unless you like the foundations of America say, no, kings, queens, emperors, globalists, elitists, we do not bow down to you. We will not run. We will reload. And your lies about global warming, a.k.a. climate change being caused by man, are now going to be put to rest thanks to Jerome Corsi and his new book. It's a long title. The Truth About Energy, Global Warming, and climate change, exposing climate lies in an age of disinformation. Welcome back, Dr. Jerome Corsi. Jerry, it's been a while. Do you know your, your first time or last time on this show was back in 2008 uh, in August? Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's, been, it's been a long time. So welcome but uh, you, you did a great introduction. I really appreciate that. That was a great introduction. Well, and, I apologize. I, I couldn't finish your book in one day, but I'm trying. Well, I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, I just got it. I got my copy yesterday <laughs> I just got you know it's in the stores getting in the stores yeah. i mean the supply chain problems have made it a nightmare but we're getting them in the stores and excellent uh i'm really glad to be back with you i mean most recently i took a couple of years and kind of readjusted my life after the Mueller investigation you know they mm -hmm. wanted to imprison me because i wouldn't lie to yeah. make their case against donald trump they offered me a plea deal i rejected it they never indicted me it's a nightmare but now I've decided I'm going to spend the rest of the time God gives me on earth to be writing books 
and doing it much more full time. So this is a more comprehensive book. It's, mm. you know, it's a 400 page book. Yeah. And I really try to go thoroughly through the issue here of uh, global warming and climate change and the science as well as the politics. Um, you're exactly right. I mean, the, the, the movement after World War II of the Malthusians is what started this whole, you know, we're running out. Uh, you had basically uh, Paul Ehrlich, the population bomb. There's too many people. We're all going to die. We're going to use up all the Earth's resources. And um, John Haldren, who was Obama's science czar, came along and he decided he was going to make it into a problem with the climate. And once they focused on that we were burning too much hydrocarbon fuels and carbon dioxide was going to damage the earth somehow or other, mm -hmm. then they had an argument against capitalism because hydrocarbon fuels are the engine of capitalism. So if they could make us afraid that we we're going to have, originally it was global cooling, but when they realized 1970s, the global cooling which had existed since the 40s, was now going to a brief period of global warming. Mm -hmm. They switched and now we're going to burn up the earth at global warming. So the demon has become hydro, the carbon dioxide with hydrocarbon fuels. And um, the major part of the book is not only explaining how the science makes this proposition completely fraudulent, but exposing that the neo-Marxists, the uh, Alexandria, uh, Ocasio-Cortez's of the world have hijacked this movement so that they are now found a, a way to make everybody feel, you know, we're all going to die. Uh, children in grade school, you're not going to be able to live to be adults because your parents are foolishly burning gasoline in their cars and they don't care about you. They just care about their own personal luxury and they're destroying the earth. And those kids wouldn't be alive today had been for the discovery of oil and the energy it would produce. It facilitated a population growth boom on this planet like nothing in recorded history. And it's the basis for how we have so many people alive and how many extraordinary souls have inhabited bodies at this point in time. And these people are so callous in their willingness to disregard the value of life itself that they say it's a great goal if we can just get a lot of these people off the planet. And they're willing to do a slow kill that is I think accelerated under the COVID craziness to get us to inject toxic poisons or all DNA altering, alternating uh, injections. We talked about last hour that we're willing to kill ourselves. And I'm telling, I say those people should take themselves out. Those of us who like life and want to support life and are helping people to live should be left alone. Yeah. When the globalists say there's too many people like you know, Paul Ehrlich in the eighties uh, and it's continued today, they never mean to eliminate themselves. They want to eliminate us, you know, that, and then they Useless have all eaters. The yeah. We're, we're, we're disposable. And so therefore the, and you're right. The, this interglacial uh, warming period that we've been in for about 25,000 years has been a boon mm -hmm. to our existence on the planet. You know, we've gone from world war two from, you know, small number of people relatively to now we've got what seven, 8 billion people on the planet. And we can handle much more because I, I, I focus on Julian Simon, a resource economist who said, we'll never run out of these resources that oil, the peak oil people, in five, I wrote a book called black gold stranglehold. This is my third book on energy. I argued there as I do I put a whole chapter in this book that mm -hmm. oil and natural gas, hydrocarbon fuels are not fossil fuels. 
They're natural products of the earth, made even today on an ongoing basis within the mantle of the earth. And I show the equations, which were developed by the German chemists uh, in the Weimar Republic, called the Fischer-Tropsch equations. And that those equations show exactly how oil is synthesized. I explain the chemistry in this book in detail and cite the sources. I went to the archives and found the on on uh, microfilm the you know the thousands of documents military intelligence the United States brought back from Germany after World War II, which had all this information in it. The Germans knew you could synthesize oil and natural gas. They did it, they made you know, airplane fuel, diesel fuel for their tanks, they made gasoline. From coal and the formulas work so this whole idea that these are all you know, the carbon was locked in these fossil fuels when the plants and animals and bacteria and plankton died and we're releasing that carbon dioxide into the environment this is all nonsense and the global warming period in which trees have you know we're more green to planet today than we've ever been we are more productive, mm-hmm. able to feed because it's warm. Yeah. Ice ages we don't do very well during oh, ice ages. And I mentioned about CO two in my garden. My plants love the CO two. I couldn't yes. be growing so nicely without it. So it's actually a greening agent in terms of foliage and food, etc. And even insects, which are necessary for pollination, do better in a warmer environment. It, and it, uh, you know, all those people that say the the uh, well, the glaciers are melting and then everything's going to be underwater. Those same people are buying beachfront property and living there, like the Obama. Well, that's right. I mean, they're not worried about you know the oceans rising, like Al Gore says. That's meant to scare us, you know. And now we're going to have lockdowns. Okay, everybody, we you know climate lockdowns. We're going to now follow COVID lockdowns because we're all going to die from COVID. And we're all going to die from global warming. We've got a climate emergency. Well, what's the climate emergency? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so summer's warm. Yeah. Look, the, the major point about carbon dioxide is that when the earth was formed, there was much more carbon dioxide. In fact, it didn't start receding in the earth from being a very large percentage of the atmosphere until about 500 million years ago. 175 million years ago, carbon dioxide reduced to 7,500 parts per million of the atmosphere. Today, it's 400 parts per million of the atmosphere. Now, the global warming is say, well, it's doubled since the Industrial Revolution. Well, that's right. It was 200 parts per million in the Industrial Revolution. That means it is 0.0000, like 0.3% mm-hmm. of the atmosphere. Carbon dioxide today at 400 parts per million is a mm-hmm. trace element is trace uh, uh, a mm-hmm. molecule in the atmosphere that is barely measurable it's so small mm-hmm. and as i trace earth's history 175 million years we're on a decline so you can't just take five or six or the 1990s as warm years and say oh now we've got a climate emergency in, uh, in 4.6 billion years yeah, five or six years in the 1990s is a data blip. Boy, it's, it's not, like taking, you know, a, just pick a day in the summer, a one day out of just one day and saying that's evidence for whatever you want to say it is. I mean, it's just it, it doesn't yeah. even rate relative to the entire scale of the history of changes yeah. in the climate and or temperatures. And you argue as well as something we brought up here for many years, uh, the role of the sun. 
Yeah. That in, indeed, that is what drives climate. That is what drives heat and cold more than just about anything that we could do on this planet. And why are they so loath to acknowledge that among the global warming or climate change alarmists? Because they want to blame everything in carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 it's a newsflash to the left, you know, sun heats earth. I mean, just look outside. <laughs> sun heats earth. And there are solar minimums, there are solar maximums. You can associate that as well with temperature shifts and climate shifts. And they, you know, there's an ebb and a flow. It's just like, uh, you know, the funny thing people say is like climate change is basically what we used to call the weather. And, yeah, right. <laughs> but an, an agenda to eliminate population well, can be very effective for young people that are vulnerable to these powers of suggestion. And I would say this partly, Jerry, the oil, the age of oil has created a class of people where we predominate. In other words, it used to be kings and queens and the wealthy elite of old that had servants or slaves. And that uh, my good friend Liam Sheff used to talk about oil as slaves. In other words, the, the work of how many slaves would it take to give us the lifestyle of leisure that we mostly lead, even if we're renting an apartment, much less living in a home. Yeah, we I have mean, an ability to, to live a life and not toil hard and work hard day after day with our physical bodies to know how hard it is really to survive. We have become lazy over generations because oil has provided so much for us. We're not even aware of the work our ancestors did just to get through the day. You are exactly right. I mean, the entire prosperity we have realized in this global, the interglacial global warming period is a result of having cheap, affordable, plentiful energy, energy yeah. that can power. I mean, look, we, we have remarkable, that's what, that's what Julian Simon said. He said, you, you'll never run out of oil. By the time you have exhausted or used a lot of oil, you'll find out there was more than you thought there was. Your technology, you'll be able to get it deeper and more effectively. Resources of oil, natural gas, and coal that you couldn't get before. You'll learn how to build it and, and use it more cleanly and more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And before you, far before you ever run out of it, you're going to be running your cars on little nuclear batteries like they run the U.S. Navy. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other level. Nuclear energy works great until it goes bad and then it goes horribly well, bad. Well, I'm yeah. not saying, I mean, yeah. yes. No, I, I understand the, the, the sentiment in terms of innovation. Innovation. You know, free, free market where we have already found ways to utilize some of these things that we would say, yes, they indeed pollute things beyond CO2 that are toxic to our bodies. Yet there have been efforts and successful efforts at reducing that, even in utilizing similar technologies based on burning oil, for instance. So that happens, but they're they're, they're saying, no, 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 we can't figure that out. So we just got to stop. But that stopping point is the death of billions of people on the planet. But that's what they want. That's what they want. It started with the Malthusians. They started saying there's too many people on the planet. We're going to run out of resources. Uh, we got to make sure we, you know, let's kill babies. Let's kill old people. Let's, let's, you know, eat. some of these writers back in the fifties, Harrison Brown at the end of world war two was actually talking about eugenics. We need to kill the old because they're going to use up too much resources. I mean, these people were insane, but the point is once and in the grade schools, you know, I've got the Greta's, Children are coming home thinking that their parents are going to, they're never going to live to be adults because the world is going to get so hot. They're going to die. Yeah. And they hate their parents because of this. And, and it's just like the breakdown of any familial unit. And then they become children of global government. Yes. Give me power. I'll fix it all. I'll yeah. shut it all down. Everybody's locked up in their homes. Nobody goes anywhere. I have all the power. Don't disagree with me because if you do, you're a climate criminal. This is 
where the neo-Marxists have hijacked the agenda mm-hmm. and the idea is to destroy capitalism. You know, the I can show you periods, and in the book I do, I go through the glacial periods, which we've had going on uh, as far as we know Earth's history. Okay, so that's also related to the sun. These Milankovitch cycles, the Earth has a orbit around the sun, which is elliptical, but sometimes it's more circular. When it gets extremely elliptical, and it does this in cycles of hundreds of thousands of years, we're farther from the sun, and there have been correlations of this elliptical pattern with the ice ages, which come and go. There's a regular pattern to them, just as with the sun, it's sometimes very active and it's sometimes in minimums. When it's in minimums, it's producing less energy, fewer sunspots. And by the way, Earth gets colder because mm-hmm. sun heats Earth. That's where the driving force is. Jerry, and- are, are, are you naturally this smart? Were you born this way? Or are you just a relentless researcher that can't be stopped? I mean, the things you covered in this book, and you're just scratching the surface of some of the stuff I've read only 276 pages in. Uh, and I'm going to talk about some other things. But is it just your doggedness of going i'm going to research research and then i'm going to compile it and you 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 get this you're communicating it not like you just somebody wrote it for you i can tell you actually went down that that road or those roads to get this information out some of this i've been talking about since i was a child i'm going to tell you um i don't want i'm not wanting to brag i mean my father i'm curious about the background the backstory i'll I'll tell you a very few people know this my father um got he fought in world war ii came back, got a GI Bill of Rights. He uh, got his college uh, diploma from Case Western Reserve in Cleveland, where I was born in 1954. Mm. I was about eight years old. I had read all of his college, his college books. He brought them home. He left them there. as a bookcase. I read them. I could not believe they were teaching science the way they were. I'd come home and argue with my father and say, um, I tell, this, this is a joke, right? These are not really your college books. He said, that's what they're, these are my college. I said, okay. So geology, they had uniformitarianism. Earth changes slowly. There's gradual changes. It, it shifts, but very, very slowly. And I said, well, Dad, we just drove along the, the Pennsylvania Turnpike. It just opened, 1954. I said, look, I'm looking at the strand of the rock. I see this one's orange, and this one's brown, and the next one's different color. That didn't look uh, gradual, those shifts in in, in striations. It's like, look, pretty sudden relative to the big scheme thing. My dad said, well, that's Jerry, because, you know, the earth changed and suddenly I said that I'm not talking about. I understand that something was different in the orange period than the deep brown. I want to talk about the line because it didn't shift and blend. It changed. What happened? That had to be a dramatic cataclysmic change. Okay, and that was the beginning of my realizing that this was uh, nonsense. I mean, also. Mm -hmm. I had another one when I was a kid. I mean, I, I never believed that oil was dinosaur fluid because, uh, you know, I, I went, I was, how many, how many dinosaurs did it take to make a barrel of oil? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I had a cat when it was, it got run over by a car. I buried it in the backyard. Okay. So a little bit later, I dug it up and see how the cat looked. No oil, a few bones and feathers, no oil. And I, I realized that we bury people because they stink, they decompose. The Bible doesn't say dust into oil. You know, the second law of thermodynamics is that we decompose. So I've been arguing from the time I was a kid that it is impossible mm-hmm. that oil was formed. It said chemicals are just chemicals. You know, we have organic and inorganic chemistry because going back into the two or 300 years ago, they thought 
carbon, which is part of living human beings, was living. So living, no, so wait a minute. There's just chemicals. They're not, they're, they're neither living nor dead. They're chemicals. You put them in certain formulations, they do certain things. I said, so there's organic chemistry is now study of carbon related issues in chemistry, but it's not because the chemistry is living in carbon. So I, I always realized that there had to be natural processes. And I would, had been looking for these equations. Mm -hmm. And then I realized at the end of World War II, all the German science that we came back with. And I realized that they had created uh, Fischer-Tropsch processes. I'm very interested in the bombing in World War II since I was a kid. I used to read the strategic bombing survey and I came across the bombing of these Fischer-Tropsch processes. And I realized Nazis made synthetic oil. So wait a minute, the Nazis in the 1940s knew that oil could be made synthetically. Why did they tell our, our geologists? Our geologists still think that the rocks make the oil because they cook the dead stuff into oil. As our geologists are looking for oil and in, in, in rock, sedimentary rock, and it, I, the oil forms in the mantle of the earth, normal processes of hydrogen carbon catalysts mm -hmm. uh, forming the, uh, the chemical reaction that produces hydrocarbon fuels under this temperature and pressure conditions. The oil outgasses through fractures in the bedrock, mm -hmm. okay? And you can see it in the, uh, the deep ocean sea vents, like the Lost City vents in the Atlantic Ocean. And the Woods Hole oceanographic teams have gone down there and measured the hydrocarbons coming out of those vents. And they wrote an article in Science mm -hmm. about 1998 saying that those were made by the Fischer-Tropsch process. Mm -hmm. I said, aha, here we are. It's okay. obvious, okay? And so that's... It's been a great, I also did, you know, the other thing about the dinosaurs, and I cover this in this book, mm -hmm. you know, I was raised in Cleveland. Well, Cleveland had a great natural history museum and you go see the, these big dinosaurs, you know. Okay. Well, I got to, Jerry, I have to have you pause here because this is a big part of what I want to talk to you about next. Sure. And it's exciting because it, it relates again to things we've talked about on this show for years. And I just love that you bring that out in your book. I'm like, every time I hit a new chapter, I'm like, Oh my gosh, he went there too. He covers that. Oh my gosh, nobody's and most people are going to be totally blown away. I, I totally recognize away. what I've done with this show is entertain ideas like this and discussions with the doctors and PhDs and and lay people that have done research that said I'm bringing up things that defy what they call cons consensus reality. You know, we have assumed things are so because we've said it the same way and experts and authoritarians have said it, so we just believe it. And you're not at all dissuaded from throwing wrenches in those belief systems in this book and then backing it up as well, which I love here. So give me a moment. I got to pause, take a breather here, say thanks to some of those that support this message of health, freedom and healing liberty of this show. And uh, for those of you who are just tuning in, Jerome Corsi is our guest this hour. It's been a while since we had him on. I'm just enjoying again, having him back on with his new book and it's linked up in the show notes today. You can go get it. And of course the, the there it is. Thank you, Super Don. The truth about energy global warming and climate change, exposing climate lies in an age of disinformation. Again, well-researched is an understatement, having you know covered these subjects uh, over time. But to put it all in one place with your back background, I'm just thrilled that this is out. And thank you for uh, sending me that advanced copy so I could read it, Real, at least most of it, <laughs> to this point, to give me a sense of where you are and what you're doing. Now, in addition to, again, upcoming events, I just want to say thank you as well to our friends at Trinity 
School of Natural Health, trinityschool.org. They have special deals. And of course, everything's happening with inflation right now. Prices are going up. That's not really the case. It's the value of the Federal Reserve note dollar that's going down. And so things are seemingly more expensive. It takes more Federal Reserve notes to do stuff, right? So what we want to do is get you, if you've been thinking about an education into body, mind, spirit, healing realities, Trinity School is ready for you. And they're, you know, the, the prices I think are going to change in August. So if you've been thinking about getting started, now is a great time. Go to trinityschool.org. Of course, join us together at the Trinity Health Freedom Expo that's happening in the middle of October outside of Chicago, far enough outside of Chicago that I'll even go. <laughs> it's not right in the heart of it at Tinley Park Convention Center. That's going to be awesome. Uh, once again, I want to say uh, that we've extended, or I didn't do this, Superdon, and maybe he did it, but we've been talking to you about the clean zeolites. We're talking a little bit about volcanism or volcanic uh, realities coming up with Jerry Corsi. You know, what's interesting is some of the minerals coming out are in unique forms like the zeolites that are bound to heavy metals. And many people have promoted zeolites to detox heavy metals from your body, but they didn't take the heavy metals out of the zeolites first. So that goes in, it comes out and they say, look, see what they pulled out of your body. Well, you put it in first. So this company, Touchstone Essentials, has finally figured out a way to clean up these zeolites, put them in a nano-sized colloidal suspension for safe ingestion four sprays three times a day it is that simple and by doing that you're going to start binding those heavy metals making it easier for your body to allow them to just kind of usher them on out without burdening your liver and kidneys still i take selenium and other minerals of course but this is another adjunct and you can get it for five bucks the first month for five bucks free shipping if you're in the united kingdom if you're in um, canada if you're in new zealand australia and other places, places around the world, see if they can set five bucks, include shipping, try it out for a month. You'll probably want to stay on it like I will. And it's, it's an amazing tool in, a, in addition to addressing, yes, environmental issues. We're not for poisoning the planet. But again, if you want to stop all oil from being burned, you're going to kill the billions you're proclaiming. I want to save billions of people. No, you're not by doing that. So we have to innovate in a free market. Capitalism, unfortunately, has been hijacked. It's become crony or capitalism, as some has described it. But if we talk about free market innovation, it is not in the best interest of any company to poison you, lest you in a free market with the common law in force, accuse them of, of violating your right to life, liberty, and property. Of course, they've been protected by an EPA that is what? Captured by the very industry it's supposed to so-called regulate that's not the way to go centralized bureaucracies are always bought always corrupted in freedom we can figure our way through this and we could still have energy and we won't poison ourselves in the same way we have when we were ignorant of that so let's move on back to the subject of our buddy dr jerome corsi jerry and his new book and i want to read for you from you brief it's just a brief paragraph uh chapter 10 of official stories by my good friend Liam Sheff. This is chapter 10. He always brings humor into the, this discussion. Number 10, Earth, the final frontier. Here's the official story. Plate tectonics. The Earth's crust is comprised of massive plates which grow out of ocean, deep ocean fissures. On their non-growing edge, they are pulled back into the Earth's mantle through subduction zones and recycled, thereby keeping the planet the same size. Earth is the only planet which works this way. And of course, the lone gunman, as he talks about this, this way of going, this crazy theory, subduction zones, which do the gobbling. And the magic bullock, he says, is in, in immense, endless time and a fertile imagination. So what is the scientific, uh, uh, let's say, consensus? Yes. Subduction zones, plate tectonics, it's always been the same size. Jerome Corsi was just about to talk about dinosaurs and their immense size and how it doesn't make sense on this current planet 
that they could exist, not because necessarily of a, a planetary collision of some kind with an, a comet, but much more related to the size and gravity. Jerry, take it away. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, first of all, saying when I was a kid, I used to go to the museum's natural history in Cleveland and see these huge skeletons of dinosaurs and said, you know, that's very interesting. Why don't we have creatures that size on Earth today? Mm -hmm. Well, my dad would say, you know, don't ask that question or whatever. But, you know, the point was, as I thought about it, there's, you know, a fundamental principle of mathematics is that a difference in size is a different in not just proportion, but it's a, it, it's a difference in scale, a different in, in whole function and whole a different entity, different phenomenon. Okay. So I thought to myself, well, okay, dinosaurs then didn't function here because they only existed in a light, in a smaller, lesser gravity environment. And we go watch the man on the moon, Neil Armstrong, see he, he bopping around like a bunny rabbit because gravity is smaller. And in terms of the moon's gravity, you'd have to have bigger bodies. We wouldn't be adapted up there. Similarly, the, these giant dinosaurs wouldn't be adapted. So I said, okay, how'd that happen? Well, then you get this plate tectonic theory, you know, that in fact, all the continents were one day together, this Gwandaland, okay? And then all the oceans were around the other way and the continent broke up and shifted and that's how the plates got formed. So wait a minute. If all the continents were together in one big spot mm -hmm. and all the oceans were around, I said, this thing does revolve, right? It, it spins. I said, well, you know, things think that spin, unless they're, when they're, their axis of mass, the center of mass is different from the center of spinning, they don't spin very well. They tend to flip out. <laughs> yes. So I said, yes. you know, a planet like yeah. that with all the, because the, you know, the, the mass of water is a lot less than the mass of land. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if that's the case. This planet, you could, a planet like that wouldn't, wouldn't turn around, wouldn't revolve. It would be, uh, yeah, it, it, all it, it would, it'd be gone. Okay. Yeah. So I said, wait, that's not how it happened. I said, okay. The, I remember actually, I can actually see the day. I mean, I had this kind of identic memory. I can see the book. I was looking mm -hmm. at this geology book, a geography book, a geography days that Sister Mary Holywater gave us. And I'm looking at it. I'm saying, um, Sister, the planets, I mean, these, these continents fit together. Look at Africa and they, they fit together. And she says, no, they don't. Nobody's ever said that. You're wrong. Don't think about that. I said, okay, fine. She doesn't want to talk about that. She can't see it. Now, as I thought about that, I said, wait a minute, <clears throat> these continents fitting together, it doesn't make sense. That's how they get this idea is one big continental mass. I said, no, it happened that way. So now if you take a tennis ball and you pop it up to the size of a grapefruit, the fuzzy parts separate. I said, that's the continents and that's the oceans. So the continent, the earth expanded, the continents popped apart, the plates were formed, and the oceans came afterwards. And in fact, as I researched it, I found that there is an entire, going back into the 1800s, alternative theory of earth plates, which is the earth expanding theory. Growing earth theory, yes. And in fact, uh, I think there's excellent evidence for it because if you look at how the plant, how the continents fit together, they fit together on a, on a sphere. They actually, the shape of how they bend them mm -hmm. like, they fit together on a sphere where they don't fit together on a plane. Mm -hmm. So basically it wasn't all together as one big thing. 
it was like this and it became like this mm-hmm. and, and it expands. That makes sense because all living things start out small and they grow and then they get old and they shrink and they die. And the earth is no different. Yeah, living thing. A living thing, exactly. And also when we come back to the gravitational discussion, in a smaller Earth, the gravity is much less like you described uh, a moon or lunar gravity. And those huge creatures, if they were plopped in this current Earth, in this current gravitational force, which is a weak force relative, but significant when you're on it as a, as a living entity, um, not only would the bones not be sustaining the size, but the heart itself would have to be larger than the body to pump that blood all the way up to the, these huge animals. I mean, there's so many factors that are not considered and you bring it up. I don't think it's controversial. No, I, I was particularly intrigued by these, you know, I guess brontosauruses with these long necks. I said, no, wait a minute. How does that thing get that neck out there and hold it up without it having to have pulleys and stretch it up? I mean, in this environment, that thing's just going to flop. Mm-hmm. There's no muscle structure in there sufficient to hold that head up given the extension of that neck in this gravitational field. We're the size we are because this is adapted in this gravitational field. Okay. And just say kudos to you for not being afraid to put this kind of thing out. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that shakes the belief, the view of the entire reality of earth. And yet you're like, this is the research I'm putting it out there for you to consider because we've been lied to about so many things. And what about this? And what about this? Earth has been around for 4.6 billion years, okay? And for 80% of the Earth's history, there was nothing on the Earth, no, nothing living in the Earth's surface until this, the entire Precambrian period. So it's really the last 20% of Earth's history that everything has gone on on the surface. Now, I thought about that and said, okay, now, first of all, that means human beings have been here, humanoids, maybe 10 million years. Well, that means we're, you know, we're just the recent, invo- we're just here a microsecond. We think we're the important. We think the Earth's temperature has to adapt to us. Well, forget it. As far as the Earth is concerned, we're just the latest creatures walking around the surface of the Earth, and we just got here. It humbling. You know, you know the dinosaurs have been here for 100 million years. What, what, what do you guys think you're so important for? You're probably going to be gone in 100 million years, and it won't because of ca- carbon dioxide. We might blow each other up with an atomic war, but that's a different issue. Mm-hmm. Now, the point is, when you take a look at the Earth, there have been five extinctions, and I go through it. So let's talk about the extinction of the dinosaurs. It was not the biggest. The third extinction was the biggest, and I'm pretty convinced that was caused by an ice age. Let's take the fifth extinction, the end of the Cretaceous, the, the CT period, beginning of the tertiary, 65 million years ago. Okay, now, we know that there was a giant asteroid that hit in the Yucatan. The Alvarezes and others began to find that and the evidence of it. And of course, our geologists discarded it until it was actually proven. Today, it's accepted that this massive asteroid hit. Now, even today, they are running on the Discovery Channel and others. Uh, Finally, our geologists are up in North Dakota, and they're finding in the layer of rock that coincides with 65 million years ago, there are fish and other debris that were killed in a tsunami. So you got fish up there that didn't belong up there, killed with, you know, branches of trees going through them. And they're finding this in the amber and the other strata that were co- coincidental in time with that comet hitting. So that's number one. And that comet hitting jarred the earth. Uh, it was, I don't know if it could have broken it up. It had been a little bit larger. And 
it was it threw huge debris into the air, which blocked the sun. At the same time, and maybe even in part caused by this comet, there were uh, we had a, a thousand years, uh, actually more like a million years, a million years of volcanic activity in India, a million years. Okay, now that threw up sulfuric acid into the into the atmosphere. That sulfuric acid was such that it um, blocked the sun. Photosynthesis couldn't happen in life. There weren't plants. Again, it was another catastrophe that compounded with the, with the asteroid hitting. But even that, the dinosaurs didn't die in a day. In fact, the, the history which I record in you know, this new book shows that the dinosaurs which survived longer than the comet hitting were the smaller species. They were increasingly smaller species. The larger species were the ones to go first. And then over, and some would say that the, the dinosaurs aren't yet gone. The birds and the crocodiles and things of that yeah, nature. Yeah, evidence of relationship. Uh, elephants from mastodons. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of comparabilities here. But as I looked at it, I said, it takes massive, massive, and then the earth expanding. So finally the dinosaurs went away, but they didn't go away easily. Okay, so these were huge earth changes, and it's happened our entire history. You know, 80% of the earth we know nothing about because there wasn't really anything here on the surface. There was no, the life that no, existed but, started with hearing, microbes inside yeah. the earth from this for carbon carbon dioxide that the earth was producing. I mean, from the hydrocarbon yeah, Well, and even fuel. today, Jerry, we know that we're more microbe than man, as we learned about the microbiome. Right. As yeah. far as the dwarfing the, the number of a mammalian or animal human cells. And now the, the predictions are all about the sixth grade extinction. And you referenced that as well. Well, the sixth grade, you know, that we is they call it the Anthropocene because they want to say we human beings are going to extinguish ourselves because we're so stupid. We're burning hydrocarbon fuels and throwing carbon dioxide in the air and it's heating us all up. We're going to die. OK, now nonsense. OK. And but the point is. It takes massive, massive cataclysmic earth changes, which have been going on since the beginning of the earth's history. You know, we've had ice ages come and go where the planet has been surrounded by glaciers. Mm -hmm. We've had warming periods. We've had volcanic periods. Some huge percentage of the earth is, you know, from volcanic activity. And these are not minor earth changes, nor are they over with. Because we could have tomorrow another giant asteroid hit the Earth that we didn't know about. We're constantly saying, oh, this one's coming pretty close. We didn't know about it. We've, we didn't see it. We, we can't stop these asteroids. We have the ring of fire around the Pacific, all this volcanic activity. Someday that's going to blow. When that does, you're going to have another thousand years of volcanic activity, and that'll be cataclysmic. It won't be like, you know, 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide going to 500 million, 500,000, no, sorry, 400 parts per million, which is what we have today, carbon dioxide, going increasing by 80%, right. you know, or so, to 25% to 500 parts. It's insignificant, insignificant. It's going to take cataclysmic changes. Right. Of, and then my whole book is saying, Earth does not change by these unified, Formitarianism, slow, yes, the military, you know, hurry up and wait, you know, right. periods of panic, and utter terror in combat 
interspersed by long periods of boredom in which you're preparing for combat and doing nothing. All, all of these um, human predictions uh, of uh, the end of the world, again, they're predictions. They've been going on since we have recorded history, people predicting the end times. I'm not of the delusion that I know when that would happen, but I appreciate all that you're doing, Jerome Corsi, with your new book and laying it out and, and having scientific validation. Yes, there are theoretical elements to this as well, but I think they're more in line with, I think, the facts as we can uh, review them as opposed to an agenda to reduce global population artificially with fear mongering that, you know, we're killing ourselves. So go ahead and kill yourselves faster, right, by the globalists, the population reductionists. And, uh, uh, Jerry, I, I expect this. Go I expect this book to get. I don't think the main. I don't forget television. The mainstream media yeah. don't want what I've written in this book known. The only no, way it's going to get I, known I, yeah. through shows like yours and people picking it up and saying you got to read the book. Yeah. Okay. That's agreed. why. That's why I wrote it. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the monetary aspect of this book, I could make much more money doing other things. Oh so yeah. I, I no guarantee doubt. you. But to your credit, Jerry, you you did a book that I think is very important and. May, for those that are invested in the science and, and, and are willing to look at a history that they have not considered, uh, may very well be able to shift some mindset so we can get some some people out of this suicidal, homicidal uh, ideation in terms of getting rid of humans and killing them well, by claiming that they're killing themselves because they actually want to have access to energy. We could talk about so much more, but I, I, I don't have enough time to do it this time. I'd love to have you back on. It's Maybe it won't be so long between 2008 sure, to 2023. Do we, a couple more, do we have a couple more minutes or are we out of time entirely? Well, we're about out of time and I'm seeing that you're, uh, for some reason your internet connectivity is degrading and I don't know if that's an external force upon us or what and we're losing the quality of your video and audio signal and I don't want to in any way compromise the message that you have. So let's book a part two so it's not so long from now. Okay, so we'll we, book a part two. Yeah, so we can- I want to talk about the mathematics of the climate. I want to talk about- okay. how, it's about how chaos theory applies. And yeah. the idea that you can models or you can predict so much carbon dioxide, so much heating yeah. in a feedback system as mm -hmm. complex as the earth yeah. is nonsense. It and just, that's, it, that's, that's where I am in your book right now. Yeah, the chaos yeah, theory. That's, that's where I'm at in the book right now. So we'll have a part two since I only got up to this point. It's perfect timing in that regard. Dr. Jerome Corsi. And of course, the book is The Truth About Energy, Global Warming, and Climate Change, Exposing Climate Lies in an Age of Disinformation. Y'all pick it up and tell your friends about it. Yeah, you're right. He's not going to get interviewed on the mainstream networks. I mean, maybe a, a, a Tucker Carlson would take this topic up. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, uh, I'm, sure I'm impressed. Even if Tucker wants to take it, I bet the higher ups say no. Yeah, they don't. This I, is too. This is they're, they're happy to have me on going to prison because I supported Donald. Yeah. So yeah. I rejected Mueller's plea. But this book, they're afraid of this book. Yeah. But too much so, truth, too much, um, too much raising issues that. Oh, yeah. Confound. I say, what are the political scientists? What science we'll read the book and see what yes please do and it's it's not what you think it is i tell you you read this it will be extraordinary and, and a build on th some of the things we've talked about and themes we've covered on this show for many years uh jerome corsi we'll get you back on so soon for yeah. part two okay we'll get you you, you get it i'll be come back anytime you get it i'll be come back anytime you ask all right jerry thanks so much my brother i appreciate you and all your work and you do great research bringing it all together that's jerome corsi here on the robert scott bell show after so many years and we'll get him back on soon for part two but yeah it is well worth the read and it'll give you some strength in communicating things that at least for those with open minds that have a scientific bent will certainly 
maybe consider it. I know there's a lot of programming in the human species to be willing and able to look at the things that Jerome Corsi has written about. But again, if you've read official stories, you're going to be like, yeah, you're there and you're ready. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate that. And again, thank you as well uh, to all y'all. This has been a, wow. This has been a barn burner of an amazing show. No, that's not a global warming joke, by the way. <laughs> Don't burn your barns. Grow food. Um, let's say Dr. Kevin Stillwagon as well was great first hour. I want to bring Super Don into the mix as we're wrapping up the next few minutes of the show, see what else we got time to cover here, and then go into bonus round. Of course, our AMA is coming up. You guys, the Zoom interface, it's going to be great. And you guys will want to be talking about some of the stuff we talked about today as well. Uh, Super Don, man, mm -hmm. amazing, amazing show today. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Boy, of course, I mean, he never, never uh, fails to amaze yeah uh dude is super wicked smart and mm -hmm. he has been ever since i remember booking him for a bunch of different shows years mm -hmm. ago yeah when he was uh he was uh, uh a main guy a reporter for world net daily remember that wnd mm -hmm. yep um i think they're still yep. around but they were a big deal back then and yeah. um yeah guy just man it's always 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 fun to listen to so, so what do we do with this last bit of, of show before we go into bonus round? Do we talk about the CO2 helping our gardens look so good? Because, I mean, we got some great we pictures could. to show off today. We can. we got a poll today. We can do that. Um, In the bonus? What, what are I'm the questions? What are the poll I'm questions? Gonna I'm going to show it right now, and there's okay. a reason for this. There was a story okay. that came out about people eating food. It basically, it was just saying, is it okay to eat food if it's gone past its expiration date? Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting information I did not realize mm. uh, in this article. And we could talk about this maybe briefly in, in bonus time. Maybe we can talk okay. about it on the AMA, maybe. Okay. Um, that might be kind of fun. But uh, mm. the question is, is it safe to eat food that has passed its posted expiration date? Mm. And the, uh, the options were no way. Sometimes, if it's just a day or two, <laughs> if it looks okay and smells okay, I dig in. <laughs> or not sure. That's good. All right. So we'll find out about the poll results uh, in the bonus round then? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So let's then let's do, because we've been, you want to talk about eggheady science today? We've yes. been all in. So yes. why not talk about the miracle of a, a garden? That you don't miracle. have to be an egghead and sciencey person to necessarily grow a garden. Yes. And do you want to show your pictures first or my pictures first? Oh, I'll show your first pictures thing? first. You're Mr. Show-off. All right. So. All right. Go full screen on this. So let's see here. So here's my uh, patch quick. of sweet peppers that are growing. And I just I picked that. out an area where you can see a nice big green one. Now, I'll, I'll wait until they're orange or red or yellow. That's okay. when they're ripe enough for me to eat. But nice. if you got like green peppers, I'll have extra. Just let me know. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Ah, there's the lettuce. Just, you there's know, how many lettuce. few weeks ago my honey planted the lettuce? And look at it coming up in sequence. Uh, right on the other side, you see directly ahead the carrots, and we had some lettuce that is already mature, and we're, we're actually, I'm cutting the lettuce from that, and we're having it every day. And now we've nice. got beautiful green and red leaf lettuce, and on the left-hand side, you'll see more lettuce coming up in sequence. So we're not trying, like before, we went all at once. It's like, oh my gosh, we can't eat enough. And then in the background, you'll see other things growing. So there you go. Mm -hmm. So that's some strategy we've improved. There's the, you called it the, um, the what is it called when you plant a bunch of trees that bear orchard. fruit? An orchard. Thank you. Yes. So. The best stuff that we got this year are the pears coming in. And I lost a couple to some heavy winds already, which is a bummer. What really kind of pears little. are those? I don't know. Are they danjus or are they? That's what they look like I to think me. they're danjus, yeah. 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 And uh, they're beautiful this year. Um, we didn't get a lot of other fruit this year for, because of a late freeze, but I'm just happy about the, the pears for sure. Uh, let's see. There's some more tomatoes coming in. Super Don's got some of those. 
Uh, those are green. Uh, obviously, we've gotten some red ones. There's some pickles to be. They're cucumbers. My honey gets them. That she eats them as cucumbers. I eat them as pickles. <laughs> pickles to be. I like. Them. I call them cucumbers or pickles to be. <laughs> All right. There we got watermelon. Check that out. Now on the oh, top of the that. screen, there you'll see the bigger watermelon that's yeah. almost ripe and ready. And then on the bottom, you'll see another one growing. And we've got two varieties apparently. One are these smaller, uh, round like basketball ones, and the other mm. ones are more the oval ones that are growing. But I just pictured a couple of them there, uh, which is fun. Those are the delicata squash. You're starting to see the blue, uh, I'm sorry, green stripes, and the, the stripes are getting bigger. I don't know exactly when to harvest those. We've not grown those yet, but we've got a few of those coming in and more on all the flowers. The bees are happy and doing their thing. So that's cool. There's another delicata squash coming in, looking mm -hmm. good. And let's see what else we got. Ah, that's the zucchini. Soon we won't be able to keep up with our zucchini, but there's a couple of them ready to harvest today and more on the way. I'm sure Super Don's going to be up to his ears in zucchinis here you can see the tassels coming out of the corn this is an heirloom organic variety that's shorter from a tall short perspective than i'm used to because last year we grew a different variety and yet the tassels are coming out like crazy the bees are doing their thing so hopefully we'll have some nice corn sweet corn this year All right. uh, and is that it that was it okay cool so in in indulge in in super dawn farming methods let's see what you got well, we're we're out of time. Oh no! At this point, but oh. we can do it on the other side. So okay. if if uh, if you're on UK Health Radio, yeah, uh, and you want to see these things, you'll have to go to robertscottbill.com and, and watch. Them. Well, also for those listening on the podcast later, you got to come see the video that version. Too. Of, the of course, show. you can't see the pictures on right. the podcast, so you know. Yeah, there are visual elements to this. So come on over to <laughs> robertscottbill.com or text RSB to two two eight two eight. Stick around after yeah. the break. It's not really a break, but yeah. it is it is kind of a break. Sixty second. We'll pause. do the poll results. We'll mm -hmm. take a look at my garden pictures. And eating and, after expiration. And then um yeah, and then we'll take a break because we'll have an AMA here in about two hours. AMA y'all sign up. You got about an hour or two hours. You know what? We're back up to ninety nine patrons. Ooh, we are ninety nine. Come on, bring it on. Ninety nine. We gotta have a hundred. So listen, you have got you've got two hours. Yes. And 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 in fact, if if you are number one hundred, yes, we'll do something special for you. Yeah. If you want it yeah, for the AMA, okay? Okay. I agree. I, I will send you something, okay? Yay. It'll be a super darn surprise. Okay. So if somebody signs up between now and 4 p.m. Pacific time mm -hmm. and you're number 100, you get the special 100 patron one Package. number 100 prize well, and at that, the AMA that, tonight. And we have a banner up for Patreon if you're not sure how to do that right at robertscapel.com. Right. So with that, the power to heal and grow food is yours. Oh, I have to remember to uh, do the Zoom invite. I didn't do that yet. So everybody's waiting to figure out how to connect. Bear with me. Uh, I'm going to get that out as soon as we're done with the bonus round. Uh, so you'll have that up on our Patreon. Uh, those of you who are already patrons, or if you're going to be, you'll get that invite, and we'll get that to you right away. So, Super D, sorry about that. I, I've just been so forgetful. I didn't think about it either. So. I know. Just till now, I'm like, oh, my God, i got to <laughs> sign in and get that done. So, so what we'll that means is, is that right after we're done here, it's going to be yeah. posted on Patreon. So all mm -hmm. you got to do is you, you should get notified by email. Some people don't mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And so what you have to do is you have to log into Patreon. Yeah. And it'll just be the very first post at the top. And that'll give you all the info on how to connect for the, uh, for the live Q&A. Uh, later on this afternoon. Yay. 
So uh, that's coming up. So we'll do an abbreviated uh, bonus round just so we can get ready for that. I think that would be important to, to do. Let's see if I can fill that in if that works. Am I in? No. Do, doing it as we speak, huh? Well, I'm trying to. I'm thinking about getting ahead of it, okay. but I think we changed. All right. So Remember while all you're that doing chaos that, with Zoom? Uh, while you're, while Zoom. you're doing that, you go yeah. ahead and do that. Okay. Okay. While you're doing that, I'm going to show the the, uh, the results of the poll. So, again, the poll was, is it safe to eat food that is past its posted expiration date? Choices were no way. Uh, sometimes, if it's just a day or two, if it looks okay and smells okay, I dig in mm -hmm. or not sure. Now, I personally fall into the category of if it looks okay and smells okay, I dig in. But I'm a dude. And sometimes guys are a little dare. I know now my wife on the other hand would be like, I don't know. My son be like, burn it. So it's like, you know, we have like everybody's in a different place as far as this goes. But I'm I'm one of those guys that's like I look at it. Yeah. Smell it. Uh, yeah, it smells like it's okay. I don't see any fuzzy blue stuff or anything on it like that. I think it's probably okay. What do you think, Robert? What do you think people answered? Uh, all right. Um, I'm going to say sometimes if it's just a day or two is going to win. Um, okay. And there'll be some no ways. But, and I would say in an answer to that personally, it would be like, you know what, dude? It depends on what it is. Because certain things <laughs> are more vulnerable post-expiration versus other things that do genuinely last much longer than they say. So okay. it's kind of an assessment scenario. But I'm going to think that the one I predicted is the winner of that. So you're saying sometimes if it's a day or two. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. All right. So our newsletter subscribers mm -hmm. said this. Number one, if it oh. looks okay and smells okay, I dig <laughs> wow, in. Look at that. 51%. Dude, I was way off on that. That's cool. That's awesome. I, I like think it. that is super cool. We got some um, just awesome, courageous Followed people. by, yeah. I think this is interesting, split almost Yeah. between not sure Yeah. And sometimes if it's a day or two. You know what? I think the not sure falls in line with what I was trying to communicate and write. It depends right. on what it is. That's okay. what I think. I'm going to interpret that, so I'm going to say I was in second place. So. Well, I guess it's your show, so you can say whatever <laughs> you want to say. There you go. Um, however, mm -hmm. I do want to show you real quick here that the reason why I did this poll was because there is an article. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that asks this question: Is it safe to eat food after its expiration date? Now, there's some interesting things here I didn't know. Have you ever picked up a package and, and sometimes they will have like one of three things on there? It'll say best by a certain date, mm -hmm. sell by a certain date, or use by a certain date. Now, right. those They're things are all different from each other, and I did not know this. I, when I looked at it, and I think a lot of people might fall into the same category, when you looked at the, whatever the date was, you went, oh, it's only good until that date. But it turns out that if it says best buy a certain date, mm -hmm. it says for consumers, this is a sign of when flavor or quality is at its peak, has no relation to food safety. Mm -hmm. Sell buy is for the store, and it's a sign for how long to keep a product on the shelf, but again, it has no relation to food safety. And use buy for consumers is a sign of when to use a product by for the best quality, but again, it has no relation to food safety. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. And, you know, it turns out that a lot of stuff, you know, the reason why they put expiration dates on there is not because that's when the food suddenly just, it's, it's poisonous and it's going right. to kill you. 
it's it's a, a, a law thing. It's like a regulation thing where they're required to have to put it on there, and it's kind of a cover your your butt type situation that they do. But in reality, a lot of food stays good for an extended period of time. So one of the things they mentioned in that article is that you know what, if it smells okay mm-hmm. and it looks okay, chances are it's probably okay. So for the vast majority of people in that poll that that chose that one, we're all geniuses. Mm-hmm. Unlike Robert, who said, "What? Maybe a day or two. All right. So, ha ha. All right, all right, anyway. all right. I tried, I tried. All um, right. So, yeah. Now on to my garden pictures. Mm-hmm. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Or did you need to do something else? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So here is. Let me go full screen on this. This is the picture, dude. This has grown so much since like the last time I took a picture. At this angle, can mm-hmm. you see that? Yes. Look at that. Look how That's green a, look that, that is. Look at that tomato plant. Wow. In the corner, it's huge. That's extraordinary. So that, that's that's the whole garden there. There's the tomatoes coming in on my on one of my tomato plants. I've got one, two, three, four, five. I think five tomato plants. Mm-hmm. So there's the tomatoes on there. You can see there's some at the top and some down there, kind of in the middle. There's some more on one of the other plants that are coming in. Yeah. And some more on another plant. Here's my radishes. Look at that. There's three radishes in a row that I got to go pick those later on today. Nice. Um, I'll be doing something with those. And that's kind of a blurry picture, but there's a zucchini there. That's a zucchini, excuse me, flower. flower. Yeah. Nice. There. Look at the zucchinis there. Look at that. They're going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're going to be catching up soon. Try it. And nice. guess what these are? Um, are those beets? Those are the beets. They yeah. actually have started to do something. Yay. They they went from something that didn't do anything for like two months, and yeah. now suddenly yeah. they're starting to grow and starting to do something. So it looks like we'll be getting Let them grow, beets. let them grow, let them grow. This is the lettuce the, the, the lettuce mix that mm-hmm. I got, salad mix. Yes. Now, yes. The, the, the leaf lettuce, like the butter mm-hmm. lettuce and stuff yeah. like that, that did not survive the heat. Okay. This, I don't even know what it is. It's more resilient, it was, yeah. It was part of the, the salad mix, so... Yep. That seems to be a little more hardy. Growing. Yeah. And there's there's some more tomatoes. More tomatoes. There. Wonderful. Yeah. So Super D, it. so proud of you. You're amazing. Love it. Well done. Well done. So that's it. So that's the garden pictures. All right. Well, let's uh let's roll with that. As far as uh the finale here, the, the uh airplanes up above. And I've got to get and log into uh Zoom and set up our uh AMA, which will be Seven o'clock Eastern, four p.m. Pacific. So we have, uh, let's see, less than two hours before we start. So I've got yep. to get that invitation out right away. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll cut it short just because we got the AMA. But again, yeah. um, I am extending the invitation. Yeah. That if somebody wants to be pa- patron number one hundred. Yeah. You can go over to Patreon, and the easiest way to do that is just to go to our website, robertscottbell.com. Look on the right-hand side. You'll come across a banner that says Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, click on it. You can sign up for as little as four ninety nine a month. You want to do more? Thank you. Yes. If you don't, that's okay, too. Yes. Once you do that, uh, you'll be able to you'll, you create an account. You'll be able to go in there, and you'll see the post that I'm going to put up here in just a few minutes. It's going to have the information on how to connect for today's uh, get-together on Zoom. 
mm-hmm. uh, and we will we will applaud you. Including also, we did get another um, member. I think yesterday. Cool. And I think it was. Uh, hold on, hold on. I'm going to kick myself for not remembering this. I'm just <laughs> drawing a blank for a moment. Right. It is. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. I should have been prepared for this. Um. Come on. Where? Oh man. Hold on. How about Christy? I think it's our Christy in the chat oh. room, Christy. Hey, Christy. Hooray. Christy signed up for uh, the annual membership at nine ninety nine a month. And um, you, God bless you. Thank you for doing that. That's so helpful. Yeah. And uh, look forward to seeing you and all y'all that can be with us. And then uh, hopefully it won't be so long before those that couldn't attend will see the video because there was just some massive screw-ups in email interface with uh, Zoom that we seem to have remedied. So that's coming up momentarily. So good thomas and doreen as well they were new ones that just signed up recently mm-hmm. welcome thomas and doreen thank you and Catherine signed up uh, on the 20th so yeah new people coming in we'll see you tonight hopefully and uh if you're not a patreon member we love you too yes we do thank you for and sharing the we show will see That's you good. guys tomorrow and what do we got going on tomorrow i know you're in a hurry hold on i know i'm trying to get this thing done hold on Hold on, yes. Hold on. Tomorrow, what do we got going on? Tomorrow is the 27th, and we will have uh, Jamie Schwartz from the Trinity School of Natural Health. And I guess we'll see whether uh, Ty Bollinger is going to be around or not. Yeah, we'll see. May the Schwartz be with you in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of that when I said that. Of course. Too. Actually, it's Swartz, not it's Schwartz. Schwartz. Okay. Sorry. I just I couldn't help it. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Anyway, all right, let's get out of here. I appreciate you guys. We'll see you uh, for those of you uh, patrons in a couple hours or less. And for the rest of you, God willing, less than 22 hours from now. Thank you, thank you, thank you.